Hey, everybody. This is Sarah Kreger. I'm an emergency physician and intensivist at UCLA, and this is the ICU EDU podcast. Today, we're doing blood gas reading skills ABG number two. This one is a 32-year-old lady coming in, and she's coming in with vomiting. She's a history of diabetes. She's had a couple previous admissions for UTIs. And her initial ABG has a pH of 7.27, a CO2 of 26, an O2 of 88, a bicarb of 12. Her sugar is 541. Her anion gap is 27. And when she came in, she was noted to have a fever. She had a UTI on her UA, and she had one plus ketones on that UA. So let's look at this initial ABG. So we're going to go and we're going to look at the bicarb first, because I think that's probably the easiest way, as we talked about on the first episode of blood gas reading skills, to start. Because you don't know what your CO2 is supposed to be until you know what your bicarb is. So her bicarb's low and she has an anion gap. So this lady has a metabolic acidosis and an anion gap metabolic acidosis, right? Now, in terms of her CO2, is she appropriately compensated? Does she have appropriate respiratory compensation? She does. So the rule for that, again, if you have appropriate respiratory compensation for your acute metabolic acidosis, is that your CO2 should equal the last two digits of your pH. And in this case, it does. Her pH is 7.27. Her CO2 is 26. So really, the question is, what's going on with her metabolic acidosis? Because what ended up happening with this lady is she was admitted to the ICU for DKA, right? She's a sugar of 541. She's a gap acidosis. She has one plus ketones in the urine. So she gets admitted to the ICU for DKA. But of course, we have no bed, so she ends up boarding in the ED. So she was initially admitted to the day team. And I come in overnight and I sort of get sign out that like, you know, young woman, DKA, secondary to UTI, just she's on the insulin drip protocol. So you follow up when her gap closes. Okay. So I get called about halfway into my night shift about her and she's still boarding in the ED and I get called because her repeat labs are looking worse. So her repeat ABG is a pH of 7.22, a CO2 of 23. An O2 of 86, and her bicarb is now 9. Her anion gap is 31. So I go down to take a look at her. And really, the first thing I check is it says she was started on the insulin protocol 16 hours ago, or at least somebody wrote for the DKA insulin drip protocol 16 hours ago. But that doesn't mean it got started. I mean, this happens all the time, right? Just because we write for the protocol doesn't mean the patient gets started on the protocol. Often they don't have enough IVs, their potassium is not good enough, it gets stopped, um, or the sugar comes down too much, right? Because most of these protocols for DKA will titrate the insulin to the blood sugar. Now, that makes sense from a nursing standpoint, right? If you have a nursing protocol titrating the insulin, you kind of have to titrate it to the blood sugar. But the thing about DKA is that it has nothing to do with the blood sugar. DKA is not about blood sugar. DKA is about acidosis. And so often with somebody, especially somebody who's vomiting this much um, and, you know, maybe hasn't eaten enough, their sugars won't be that high. And their acidosis, their ketoacidosis is disproportionately high relative to their sugar. And her sugar was 541 when she came in, high but not that high. 
And so often what I find happens is if I just let them coast on the protocol and I'm not paying attention, you give them a couple liters of fluid, you start the protocol, and the next thing you know, their sugar is 200 and their gap really hasn't budged and their acidosis hasn't gotten any better. And then people just end up titrating the insulin drip per the protocol down and sometimes even off because the sugar's too low. And what you need to make sure you're doing then is just give them a whole lot of D5. Now, of course, the nurses often get weirded out by this because they're like, this seems counterproductive. We are giving the patient a bunch of insulin and we're giving them a bunch of D5. Couldn't we just split the difference and do neither and call it a day? But you have to make sure that you're explaining that the whole point of this exercise has nothing to do with the sugar. It's all about the ketoacidosis. And so the solution there is often you have to give them a whole bunch of D5. So just crank that up because that forces the sugar higher, which forces the insulin higher. And sometimes that's what you need to do to give them enough insulin to resolve the DKA. But I checked for all those things. And it turned out that she'd been started on the insulin drip when the order was written. She had plenty of IVs. The potassium was fine. And she was still on the insulin drip. And she'd been on the insulin drip like, you know, 0.1 to 0.12 units per kilo per hour appropriately for the last 16 hours. But yet her acidosis wasn't getting any better. And in fact, it was getting worse. So what is happening here? And this is where we start talking about the chicken-egg issue of infection and DKA. Because we sent some additional labs at this point. Because, you know, she'd been getting treated for her DKA, and she'd gotten some ceftriaxone for her UTI. But we hadn't really been aggressively treating her for sepsis. And when we checked some additional labs at that point, after that second ABG came back, it turned out that her serum beta-hydroxybutyrate was only 1.1. Not very impressive. Her lactate, on the other hand, was 4.7. So what's happening here? Well, the patient wasn't getting better because we'd been treating her for the wrong thing. I suspect that when she came in, her primary cause of that anion gap metabolic acidosis, I suspect it was probably a lactic acidosis from septic shock rather than a ketoacidosis. And that one plus ketones in her urine, my guess, she was vomiting a ton and she's probably dehydrated. Now, it turned out that she had pyelonephritis and she had an infected stone. And it further turned out that she'd been admitted previously for pylo, and she actually had ESBL. And so this F-triaxone wasn't doing her any good whatsoever. And it really gets at the question of infection DKA, because in her case, her sugar was elevated, but not because of DKA. It was probably a stress hyperglycemia. So remember that the body, when it's stressed, when there's a physiologic stress, in this case, sepsis, but whatever it is, it could be sepsis, surgery, trauma, it has a stress response. And all kinds of things happen with that physiologic stress response. But one of the things that happens is you get hyperglycemic. And I kind of knew that, but I, I think it really came home to me when I started doing more cardiothoracic ICU. And you'd have these patients who would come in from the OR after a really big cardiothoracic surgery, and they either didn't have diabetes at baseline or maybe very mild, just on metformin-style diabetes at baseline, and they would come to the unit on an insulin drip, or they would need a ton of insulin postoperatively. And at first I was like, really? Like, are we giving everybody diabetes? Are we, you know, sneaking them cupcakes in the middle of the operating room? 
But really, it's just a huge physiologic stress. So that huge physiologic stress can cause a hyperglycemia that's related to, in fact, the sepsis, the septic shock in that physiologic stress. And I think that's what was happening with this lady. And those ketones in the urine, yeah, it was probably because she was vomiting. So ultimately, we ended up switching her to a carbapenem, giving her a bunch more fluids, and, you know, continued the insulin drip for a little while, but it ultimately ended up titrating it off pretty fast. Um, and so, yeah, I think the point of this case is just keep in mind that a metabolic acidosis, a gap metabolic acidosis plus hyperglycemia doesn't necessarily equal DKA. You have to get at that chicken egg question of, do they have DKA? that was precipitated by infection. This happens all the time. And in fact, whenever somebody has DKA, your question needs to be, what pushed them over into the DKA? Was it medication noncompliance? But you got to be careful with that because we often invoke that, but it often causes us to miss things when we invoke it falsely. Or is it just that, you know, they maybe have a little bit of both. They have a bad infection causing both a lactic acidosis and actual DKA at the same time. So it's a mixed picture or like in this lady's case, her primary problem is septic shock from an infection, which caused a stress hyperglycemia, little bit of ketonuria from vomiting and dehydration, but the lactic acidosis septic shock infection is really her primary problem. And us treating her DKA actually didn't get us anywhere. That's all for Blood Gas Reading Skills APG number two. Thanks for listening.